Dissecting the week's sublime and ridiculous. Friday Face-Off with Quinovic Property Management. A better rental experience for all. Call 0800 Quinovic. It's that time of the week. Friday Face-Off. We have in the studio with us Infometrics Principal Economist Bradley Olson. Good morning. Good morning. And Wellington City Councillor and first-time uh, panellist, Jill Day. Good morning. Uh, kia ora. Kia ora. Are you going to run for mayor? Uh, that's the easiest question of the morning. No. <laughs> okay. I thought I'd ask everyone else. Brad, are you going to run for mayor? No, I, I think I'm going to stay, uh, stay well clear as well. I don't think it pays enough for you anyway. Anyway, <laughs> let's start with the National Party spill. Uh, Bradley, what did you make of it all? Oh, what a nightmare. Um, you know, just at, at a time when we need to be having such incredible scrutiny on what the government's doing, you know, forcing things through Parliament, we've got a lot of challenges coming up. Um, the National Party is yet again imploding on, in of itself. I guess the only good thing is at least something's happened. At least maybe now there's a pathway better because, gosh, it couldn't get much worse, could it? Well, I think it probably could have. If she stayed on, it probably could have. It was not heading in the right direction, was it? No, absolutely not. And I, I think the challenge you've got now is taking that time. There is now a few days where uh, politicians are going to go away and have to have a think, um, but that leaves still a lot of space where, again, are we properly scrutinising the decisions that the government's making? Because there's a lot happening. There's traffic lights, there's border openings. There's a lot of stuff happening that we are not keeping on top of because of these distractions. Jill Day, what did you think? Yeah, I thought it probably wasn't their best day in politics, but um, I think we've all been expecting that something was going to come that was, you know, going to be dramatic. Um, I just, I, from my perspective, I hope that this is a signal of the end of the era of dirty politics. You know, that this is actually maybe, or, or maybe the start of it. I'm, I'm hoping it's not. I'm hoping that the National Party are going to really look and reflect on their culture because clearly their culture is not actually leading them towards the sort of um, decision making that they need to be making, and also the ability to hold this government to account because that is their job. And I think at the moment they're letting us down and that's that's a real problem for us all. That's how some of us feel about our own council, Jill. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, you, you know, lead yourself for that one. Yeah, no, well, well, obviously politics is challenging, but we certainly haven't gone to the levels of trying to uh, destroy the whole building um, on the way down, which is what this certainly felt like, and that's no one no one benefits from that. 100%, and I, I shouldn't have been so glee. Uh, <laughs> but I've got it out of the way now, Jill. I'll leave it alone. Eh? Fair enough. <laughs> okay. you, you, you do have these concerns, though, right, in national politics, where it mm. seems to be that, you know, we take what could well be quite legitimate issues and, and really politicise the, the heck out of them. I don't think that serves anyone well. I'd much rather we have good solid debates about policy and issues rather than, you know, the, the, the stuff that seems to be coming through at the moment is much more of that dirty politics angle. And I agree with Joe. I think I think I really hope this is the end rather than the start. Okay, Bradley, you're you're talking, so who's your pick for leader? Oh, I, I think I think Luxon. Uh, by 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 ahead because I feel like the I, I just don't know if the public's going to resonate with Simon Bridges just given what, what's recently occurred and some of the smearing that seems to be going on. Jill, what are your thoughts? You're looking into the sky, so you I'm, obviously haven't got a clear... I'm, I'm looking into the sky thinking I actually really want them to come out with something that they can all get behind, you know, and, and from the outside we, we might pick someone, but actually we need to really um, think about the fact that the people who are maybe being put forward at the moment might not be the right people to do that right now. They might need someone who can help to, to do Mold. some of that moulding and, and bringing it together. And, you know, actually that's an important part of leadership is sometimes people play a role, which is to get a party through to a point where the leader who can take them into election is that person. And I wish that we had that more in politics where people weren't worried about their own 
their personal. own career, they're looking beyond that and saying this is the right thing to get this party to the next point. And, and a good example of that though was was Dr. Shane Retty this yeah. this week. You know, I, th- I think he he played a really important role there as as mm. deputy now interim leader of, of steadying the ship and, and calming things down and being able to move through that process. He's always, I've got a lot of time for him, he's, he's from mm. um, up where I Have am in Whangadei. Of course, I, I know him quite well and I've got a huge amount of time and, and, and a lot of respect for the way that he's gone about things this week. Have you yeah. met him, Jill? I haven't, but I was actually really impressed with the way he dealt with things yesterday and I thought that is leadership, you know, he had to he had to deal with something which is always hard to be the one that's left holding the microphone on those sorts of things and he dealt with it with huge integrity. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, one more question before we take a short break. Uh, no more MIQs for fully vaccinated Kiwis coming home from mid-February. Jill, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's taken too long? Do you think we should have let them get home for Christmas? What are your thoughts? Um, I think at the end of the day, it's really got to be about making sure our population is, is widely you know, well protected. And I think by February, we should be we should be very much there with vaccinations. And, and you know, people do want to go home, come home, and we need to make that, that an option. But we also have to balance the needs of our communities and the fact that our medical system you know, needs to be able to cope with whatever comes. I'm, see, I'm pretty frustrated with this decision. I think it's the right move, but I think at the time frames we could well have uh, either done something, uh, you know, a, a ahead of Christmas to a degree. We are obviously opening up for Australia first and then moving uh, to other places. The fact that we've got a th- thousands of people with COVID-19 currently isolating in their houses in Auckland suggests to me that on, on from a health point of view, we must be able to have people who are coming in with a negative, uh, you know, test already. They're already double jabbed as well. I, 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 I don't know if I'm, you know, just a complete idiot, but the health difference seems to be quite minimal if we've already got those people with COVID in the community uh, isolating at home. So I think we could well have moved faster, but I am also glad that, gosh, finally we've got a decision. Yeah, well, it, for me it was, oh, I'm so excited. We've got, we know the date. And then I sat back and thought about it. And by the next hour, well, second cup of tea, I was thinking, oh, we could have done this before Christmas. We could have had the whanau back you know we could have done stuff you know we've we, I think we do have to be careful about some parts of New Zealand the likes of Gisborne Tairawhiti and uh, my home area of Northland up uh, up, up, up the top uh, because they do have low vaccination rates it's a huge concern um, but I think as well because Auckland is the first port of call and because we know that there are such high vaccination rates there I, I do wonder if we could have moved it even maybe not the full way as as quickly but something a little bit more than completely putting Christmas off the table Although I do wonder, um, you know, the treatments that are coming out now um, from around the world, that actually, you know, if you get COVID, that there's really good evidence to show that those treatments are going to be effective. And I guess this buys a little bit more time so that, you know, they will be in New Zealand next year. And it means that as people are starting to need to be treated, those options are available. So I think, you know, it is always that balancing act. But I think at the end of the day, it's the vulnerable communities that really concern me. Probably places like Wellington and in Auckland, you know, we've we've got some good coverage, but yeah, people people don't just stick to those places when they come to this country. No, they go no. to the they go to the beautiful, um, you know, quiet places where people might not be protected. Thanks, guys. We're going to take a short break. It's News Talk ZB uh, Friday Face Off with Jill Day and Bradley Olson. It's fourteen minutes past eleven. Face Off. We have in the studio with us Wellington City Councillor Jill Day and Infometrics Principal Economist Bradley. Olsen, Bradley, I'll start with you on this one because this seems really complicated. I think it's a good idea, but complicated. A plan for social unemployment insurance scheme is set to be released by the government and should be saving grace for those unemployed. It would mean if a person was laid off, they would receive 80% of their income for an undisclosed period of time. 
What do you make of this? Look, I think it's actually an important step that we move towards because at the moment, right, the, the big challenge for a lot of people is if they lose their job, they immediately uh, or very quickly will go on to the benefit, which is important, it's a safety net for them, but they have such a huge loss of income that often that actually sets them back quite a way of trying to find a new job, retraining, thinking about those different opportunities. So this sort of social unemployment uh, insurance is going to be important, but we've got to get the details right. We talk about how it's ACC-esque, um, and uh, that means to me that we have to figure out, do you pay more or less if your industry or your job is more or less likely to, to sort of get the biff? Um, but also, I, I think, you know, just trying to understand how much we're paying into and what you're getting back. There's some think, uh, thinking around, does everyone pay equal? Do we all pay one to two cents in the dollar into this? Or because I earn more, do I pay more than, than other people? Is it a bit more of a pro progressive scheme? Um, still a lot of questions around this. I think businesses, though, won't be particularly happy. They do have to understand, though, if this, if, or if not this option, you, the worry is that you might have to see compulsory redundancy being brought in, and that's going to be a far worse option, I think, for a lot of businesses. Jill Day, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, I think the other perspective to bring into this is that, you know, our workforce is changing and we're, you know, we're working towards a zero carbon um, economy. And that means that, you know, some jobs will disappear and new jobs will um, appear. And um, we don't even know what some of those new jobs are. So we need to make sure that we are providing the opportunity for people who do become um, unemployed because their job is no longer needed or wanted, um, that they can go and retrain and, you know, and and do something new and I think that is really important um, and it's important that we um, support people when you know maybe they're um, they've had unfortunate circumstances happen and they've lost their job for one reason or another we know sometimes people fall out of employment because they have unwell family members and you know obviously there's, there's got to be different ways to support people through that but I think what this is doing is this is really looking at, at what we can do to keep people in jobs keep yep. them in employment and this is really basically for all people it's bank managers as yeah. accountants as well as manual labourers, so it's it's across the board scheme. Bradley, this is one for you obviously, the Reserve Bank raises the official cash rate uh, again. I think I, uh, my release this week, uh, I think I called the decisions both bird-brained and spineless. Um, so my, my, my view is pretty clear there. I think they should have gone harder. We've got inflation now that is more than double what the midpoint that they try and target is. We've got a record low unemployment rate. We've got economic activity that I know we've got a Delta outbreak, but is a lot stronger than they first thought. The risk in my mind is that we have inflation that continues to spiral upwards. We don't get in front of it, and therefore you've got households that are paying a lot of cash just in those price increases. I think they should have gone harder this time. Oh, I don't agree with you. Guys, Jill. <laughs> well, I have to say, uh, yeah, this is this is something that, um, you know, I just look at from a perspective of, you know, particularly our first-time buyers who we are, um, you know, we know are struggling to get into the market. And, um, and I think, you know, we have to be very mindful of the, the increase in rates and what that will, will do to that. But um, from a council perspective, we just need to build. We need to build, build, build. We need to increase supply so that we can start to provide some some balance out there and that's just what we've got to we've got to focus on all those different things but yeah I think it's um it's certainly complex it's hard at the moment we all wish we had a crystal ball and we knew what was coming I well, think that as for a council perspective and, and my view on that is that you have to say yes more you have to actually get alongside developers who will spend the money you need to hold hands with them and make them feel good because that's what I'm hearing when I'm out on the street people are saying it's just too hard to do business with this council you know they need to be a more of a yes council and less than a no council Council, I think, has been doing some some good things. So you know, there has been some oh, partnership on a part. Nice no, no, no. I, I mean, I mean this seriously, Nick, because I, and I have been impressed because there has been some stuff that has been coming through where councils been partnering up. I think there needs to be a lot more of it uh, because at the moment, right over the year to September, Wellington City consented twenty five percent less 
when it came to building consents. Well, New Zealand as a whole, 25% more. We're going backwards in this city at the moment, and I completely agree about the challenge around first home buyers. Let's be clear, though, that the additional $2,000-odd or so a year that first home buyers are now going to be paying on their average mortgage pales in comparison to the fact that an average house in Wellington costs $1.2 million. Yeah, and that's yeah. the issue, isn't it, Joe? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know one of the things that council's done over the last few years that has really um, has been an interesting one to watch and what it could do. And I think it does need to step up. And what you're saying is absolutely true, Nick. Um, is around the apartment conversion and you know supporting the middle income earners. And and you know council can actually partner and really improve that and work with the developers to to make that easier. And that's the way that we are going to get first homeowners. They're not going to be able to get to Cordoneta and Seatoon or Miramar anymore, or or Johnsonville or or Nio. They've got to be buying an apartment in town. If you've got a developer that wants to build 100 apartments in town and sell them for 500000 and get them on the property mm-hmm. ladder and you know? Well, I, th- I think there's two points to this, though. We actually know that first-time buyers don't actually buy a lot of apartments because know, they're but... quite expensive. What I think we need to do is having the apartments in the central city, like we've got on Willis Street now with Takainga, that there's going to allow people to rent in the city so we don't lose all our talent immediately. But it's actually the townhouses more in the suburbs. And I live in a great one um, up in Mount Cook at the moment. It is that denser uh, living, so you are, you know, you're using your land more efficiently, but you're also able to have it a little bit further out, and it is sort of a, a, a more affordable option. We're seeing it a lot more in the hut. Wellington needs to move that way and soon. Yes, Absolutely. I agree. It's uh, Friday face-off time. We have in the studio Jill Day and Brad Olson. It's 23 minutes past 11. We'll take a short break and be back Friday face-off time with Brad Olson, Bradley Olson and Jill Day. Jill, this is a great one for you, this one. You're smiling. You're laughing. Let's get Wellington moving has spent more money on their website than it has on actual construction. Yes. Well, <laughs> I think the thing you could say is that Let's Get Wellington Moving has had a very bumpy ride. Um, and I think, you know, I'm not really here to defend, you know, the spending on that. I mean, I do think, I don't have a problem with spending money on websites and making sure that people can access the information. I think the thing that we need to do is to stay focused on what we need to do, which was we need to get on and actually build the thing. And that's really where we as leaders and decision makers need to need to be. Um, I think we do need to be able to communicate with the community what's happening, real-time progress, make sure people feel that they can understand what's coming and that they can see where, you know, there's going to be a lot of disruption, where that will come through. Um, but also, you know, for me, residents are always asking me, you know, what does this mean for our community? What is this going to mean for me? Am I going to be able to get to work? Am I going to be able to get home? People want answers to those no. questions. And I think that's what this is about. This is making sure that people feel connected to it. We do need to make sure that we don't over-consult and that we get on and do it. But there are some important things that the community do need to be able to feed into. Great answer. Bradley? Oh, look, I, I think Jill makes very, very good and, and, and important points. I, I do j- still just have to laugh with Let's Get Wellington Moving, though. The two things that I'm aware of that it's done so far is slow down speed limits in the central city, and it's going to put some traffic lights on... Um, uh, on, on the state highway heading out to the airport. Um, I, I think we've got to be realistic. The first two things that Let's Get Wellington Moving has Stop. done is stopping things. More importantly, right, I mean, when are we actually getting constructed? When is a shovel getting in the ground for this thing? What, 2028, I think, for any of the big projects? I know it takes a long time to consult, but I think we also need to remember that we had these very same options on the table in 1992. That's before I was born. Uh, you know, Wellington's been grappling with these issues for a while. I feel like in a sense of over-consulting, once we've got a decision, let's just plough on and do it. I mean, let's get some diggers and just start digging some stuff up. 
absolutely. Yeah. I totally support that. I mean, the last big um, changes in the city were in 1978, the year I was born. So, you know, like, actually, this is a huge opportunity for the city and we don't want to miss it. And we and I have to agree. I think, you know, the timing needs to be brought forward. We need to do things as fast as we can. We are already um, seeing the impacts of, of not being able to move through easily. And I think we just need to really stay focused um, and not keep relitigating and, and going over all of the things that have gone wrong, you know, that actually we've just got to move forward. We've got to stay focused. And in my mind, we've got to get some priorities straight as well because we know, right, that there's a lot of stuff we're trying to do in Wellington and we just probably don't have the workers and the resources to do it. What do we think is most important? And whatever we think is most important, let's pour the resources in there. And get it done now. Get it Well, yeah. get, get it moving, perhaps. Yeah. Do you have, does the council have much to do with it? Uh, yeah, so we're one of the three partners, and I think that's one of the, the questions that you would bring to this is, um, you know, do we actually need to look at having um, having some sort of structure which is easier to work with on this front? You know, should we be having some sort of transport um, authority in Wellington City to really move this forward? Because when you have lots of different partners to it, it can make it quite complicated and quite clunky. Um, but I think, you know, it's really important that we just make sure that we are focused on the fact that this is a transport project, but it's actually also about how we grow and where we build our houses. This is also urban development. So I'm getting the feeling that you think we could do it better. I think we definitely, you know, we just cannot um, lose sight of the fact of why we are doing this. And of, of course for the community they want the individual details and the answers to their questions, but we have to remain focused on the fact this is about urban development and moving Wellington into a future where more people can live. And we've yeah. got to be realistic, right? We're not going to please everyone in the city. Gosh, no. we seem to be able to annoy more people than we ever please. But I say that because once we make a decision, we've got to stick with it. Some people will be mad. Absolutely. I'm mad every day sometimes by how frustrating it is, though. Let's get on and do something, and then people can start to plan their lives for the future. I think that we've also got to be mindful, and this is from Georgina Campbell, who's uh, uh, our special issues writer and uh, She's been involved in this quite heavily. Her, her, her view to me once, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, She, on a phone conversation, she said, we've got to be careful that we don't become a no city, though. You know what I mean? And, I, and she's a young, bright person of our future, and I think that's really important. And, it, and it, the light switch went for me. You know, I thought, oh, it's so easy to knock things. But you don't, we just don't want to be a no city. News Talks here, B, it is 28 minutes to 12. We're on Friday face-off with uh, Principal Economist from Infometrics, Bradley Olson. I nearly got it right all day today, Bradley, didn't I? You're going well. I was going well till then. And City Councillor Jill Day. Jill, this is a good question for you, the next one. I'm going to start with you on this. Should Kaingora scrap a sustained tenancy policy and be evicting unruly tenancies? Uh, I don't think they should. I don't think you can um, treat it as sort of simply as that. Um, I think, you know, actually as a teacher, before I got into council, um, I was supporting families who, you know, potentially sometimes would have been challenging for their communities that they lived in. But, you know, that it does have a massive impact on their children if you move them. And really, actually, we're just moving the problem off and actually we need to get in there and, and figure out how we can support people. And, that, you know, there is some good work being done on the ground. We've, you know, we've experienced that in our social housing. And I think it's really important that we come at it with empathy because actually people are in these situations because things have not, you know, life has not treated them well. Yeah, I agree. I think it should be all about the kids.
I think they shouldn't be evicted if there's kids involved and, and if there isn't kids involved then it's a different situation. We're, we're actually think, creating a future problem for ourselves because right. I, I did um, teach a, a child who um, they were actually being moved on because the Housing New Zealand house that um, they were living in was leaking and they were moved to um, from um, Tawa through to Porirua but the thing that um, was really hard with that is that that child was being lifted from their community and they'd had health issues because they were living in a damp home and so you've got a child who's um, vulnerable because they are struggling to connect with school you then move them to a new school and this, the problems don't go away, those health issues don't go away and actually that child just becomes hugely at risk of being disconnected from the system. Yeah. I, I, look, I've got a different view. I, I must say I don't think we should just be uprooting everyone the, the minute that anyone has a loud party. But, you know, we, we're hearing about death threats. You'd you know, there's, Brad, there's guns be being out? pulled. The, 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 the challenges we've got here are huge and I think as well as that I, I, I completely take the point but we've also got we, we've got to remember that the other people living next door have just as much of a right to not have all this abuse and death threats and that coming forward I'm not saying we should do it all the time but gosh I, I think to say that look there are no consequences at all for anything you do you can you know shoot at people and have death threats going on is abhorrent and, and I, I certainly don't want to see these kids in, in a worse place but I think in, in general this is a pretty poor outcome to have absolutely no change at all possible it should be absolutely the last resort but it certainly should be possible to move people on i agree with you but you know I'm, i live next door to a, uh, a flat two doors down but they make a hell of a lot of noise but they have a party whenever they have a party they put a note in your letterbox you know and you never ever object to it do you because young people need to have a good time don't they you're a young guy you need to have a uh, put your music up and have a good time now and again, Bradley? Absolutely. It depends. I mean, my music choice annoys most of my flatmates more than anything else. But absolutely. But I guess that the difference, right, is that you're well, not you're getting still not a... listening to Michael Bublé, are you? Oh, no, no, no. The, no, the, ch- the Chainsmokers and so on. I'm probably going to list some, some, some names and even you're not aware of. Nick. Oh, OK. But, but again, I, I, you know, the difference here, right, is that you're not getting a, a, a notice in your mail of, you know, I'm going to kill you soon or, or here's a few bullets. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, the, the, yeah. the differences here are quite stark. And, and again, that's what I mean. Absolutely the last resort. But for stuff like this, I... I think we've got to be able to move some people on. I think the important thing is to remember that these situations are really challenging, but they are actually few and far between where it's that extreme. And I think in those situations that moving people on really does just put it in another neighbourhood's issue. So, you know, like we actually really Fix do need to Fix the problem, don't move the problem. It's putting a band-aid on. And I think actually, you know, we've had situations in our um, social housing where neighbours have had um, challenges and actually they've had some really good outcomes with people just sitting down and doing some coaching about, you know, some things exactly like that, you know, putting letters in, and um, a mailbox and just trying to help build some kind of um, understanding and empathy between people. I certainly do make the t- take the point though that part of this is we need to have better support for some of these groups because gosh at the moment if you are having these issues that are coming up we really need to be thinking much more about what why these people are in those positions and what we can do to help them because you're right I certainly don't want to just move on the problem but I also don't think that there should be absolutely no consequences there's always a consequence in life and that still needs to remain. Okay, Jill, this is a good one for you to start on. Uh, uh, before she was ousted, Judith Collins promised the Minister of Space. Oh, my gosh. Do we need this? And if we did, we were laughing. Who should it be? I, I actually saw this one and I just had a little giggle because it, it really took me back to being in the classroom and some of the kids, you know, they just know so much about space and they love it. And I just sort of, I, I guess I think that the future is so unknown, but we do have people out there who are passionate about this and, um, you know, who knows what's coming in the future? I guess probably my perspective at the moment is we've got some bigger issues to deal with. Um, I just hope that we don't um, move into space so that we can subdivide Mars or something. You know, like actually we've got to make sure that we're building the houses here right now and focused on that. I think it it's an interesting one and it possibly will be relevant in the future. But. Yeah.
Oh, I, I think it's a great idea. I mean, look, oh, when, the only, on, no, 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 no. Hear, hear me out. I, the only thing I ever wanted to be as a young boy was an astronaut, and and so when I saw this, I was like, you were one of those on. kids in my class. You Absolutely. could tell me everything about space. Absolutely. Um, and and, and I say that because look, it, I mean, it, it is the final frontier, right? It's the thing that we look for, uh, you know, look look up to at night. Um, I, I think as well though, it has some huge economic potential there for New Zealand. We're doing some really cool stuff. I mean, Rocket Lab's the most obvious, of course, but there's a lot of other things we're talking about making sure that we have a coordinated strategy on it I think is important. Does it need to be perhaps a minister? Maybe not quite so specifically but gosh it's a pretty cool title as well and I can imagine you know someone who wants to press the big red button to send a rocket up to space. If you're a, a minister of government man you, you want to make sure you've got that title. Okay let's move on from that one okay because I, Bradley you're the only guy that'll be interested. You can play this play this back and listen to it yourself. <laughs> the man, a man was furious after he had, I'm going to you on this one Bradley was furious after a haircut he had long hair. He he got it cut short against his wishes. Took his girlfriend along to show the hairdresser how he wanted his hair to look, uh, and he she cut the hairdresser, of a female, cut his hair short and said, basically, uh, that that's what a man's hair should look like. I thought this entire story was bizarre, uh, but both in terms of that the hairdress that you go in, I mean, if I go in and ask for a, a short back and size for number two, it's not like they're going to try and dye my hair purple or something. So, I mean, just just for starters, I can't believe that the hairdresser even started like this. That 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 is just bizarre. But also, I mean, the point of, you know, why don't we stand up for ourselves? I, I think we are sort of quite a timid bit of a society you know someone comes along to your table at a cafe and says is everything all right you'll say yes even if you've got a dead rat on your plate um and we're, and, and, we're courteous uh, people really aren't we yeah we which, which is complain, great. Jill? no not no it has to be pretty pretty severe for me to say something and i think that um actually in this situation you know we we're, we're a culture that you know we believe that the customer is always right and so we we go into something thinking that the person who's serving us is doing the best thing for us and our interests and if we say we want our haircut like that we just trust that they'll do it it's just it's so bizarre Okay, we're going to take a short break and come back with hots and knots. Uh, News Talk ZD, Wellington Mornings. It's Friday Face Off. The Friday Face Off. Hot and not. Okay, we're talking off air as we do on Face Off. It's hots and knots time. Jill, let's go with you first. Which one do I start with? Hot you stop, you whatever you feel, feel. Okay, I'm going to start with not because I think it sort of leads on from our earlier conversation. Um, I think what's not cool is a smutty jokes made by men in parties and in social situations all women but um in this situation this week yeah. you know we're talking about people yeah. who make inappropriate comments and they know better yeah and actually we need to start calling it out and Absolutely. you know when we're there do it 100 percent. do it with empathy but you know actually just say you don't need to say that no no 100 percent Okay, that's your not hot. What's your hot? Oh, what's my hot? Um, we have uh, two new li- male lions who have arrived in Wellington this week. I'm um, going to Wellington Zoo, and um, they that is part of our um, international um, program around you know um, caring for our wildlife around the world. And um, pretty exciting having them here at Wellington Zoo. Have you seen them yet? No, I haven't. Apparently, they arrived. I think uh, during this week. Um, and I know one of my colleagues um, who's on the board got an update saying that they were they they'd arrived safely and they were asleep. Um, and just you know. Coming, coming around to where they are now. Well, I'm going to send Rosie up with a microphone because she's smiling like a Cheshire Bloomin' Cat in there to, when it's you're talking about it. So I'm going, to send her cool. with, I'm going to send her up there with a microphone. She's sending me with a microphone to get on the ferry this afternoon, so I'll send her up there next week. Awesome. Bradley, your hots and knots? Uh, my hot for this week is, is the weather. We've had some pretty nice weather, and we can't say that all the time about Wellington, and, and I just always think it's uh, it, it, it's good. You know, walking outside, it's nice and warm. Uh, my knot, though, and, you know, sorry to turn serious, but my knot is ramming stuff 
stuffed through Parliament in 24 hours with no uh, exposure drafts, no information getting out there. I, I think, you know, yes, the government has a majority, but they do everyone in this country a disservice by thinking, I know so much better than you, there is no time for anyone to assess what are some pretty significant changes to the rights of different people in this country. That's a bad take. Thank you very much, both of you, Jill Day and Brad Olson, for Friday Face Off once again. Uh, News Talk said, B, we'll